Welcome to the FDA Show. I'm your host, Aristotle Domingo, and joining me today is Canadian wheelchair tennis star, Candice Compton. Welcome to the show, Candice, and thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. I think this is a long time coming too, I think. Um, so certainly excited to have you here. So let's start with a bit of a background for our listeners. How, you know, before we get into the the, uh, the wheelchair tennis bit, which I wanted to, to talk to, with you about, what was growing up like, you know, sort of just a little short bio of yourself? Yeah, for sure. So I grew up with spina bifida, um, a physically disabled kid, um, fairly normal life. My parents were really supportive. Um, if I ever wanted to do anything, there was never an excuse not to, um, even though I grew up with a disability, um, super supportive family, um, still wasn't really into the sports that, that much. I was sort of the kid that sat in the corner and was like, please don't look at me. I'm different. I don't want people to look at me. Um, um, and then, you know, so didn't really participate in sports. Um, not until about my early twenties when I discovered wheelchair tennis, um, for the very first time, um, fell in love instantly. She went to a have a go day that was put on by Ontario para network, um, left there just knowing I wanted to be involved, um, in some capacity, whether it was, you know, volunteering, coaching, playing, whatever it was, wasn't particularly good at the playing part at that point. <laughs> so I wasn't really sure how it was going to work out. Um, but yeah, so I, I fell in love and just decided that I needed to be involved in some way, shape or form. Ended up obviously that I, I continued to, to play and to practice and to get better, um, you know, um, and then at the age of 30, decided to have my right leg amputated um, because of reoccurring infections that I was getting um, in, in my right knee and my right joint. Um, so I just decided I had enough of the pain It had been going on for 17 years at that point. Um, and just said, I've had enough, you know, I was a miserable human being and was not happy, was not enjoying life. So went and did something about it. And I had a very amazing, uh, surgeon who was like, yep, you're right. Your, you know, your quality of life will skyrocket when we get rid of this, this, uh, knee. So, um, since then just been doing crazy, wonderful things <laughs> and it's kind of been a whirlwind, but I'm enjoying it so far. So, um, going from, you know, not having a very exciting or particularly special childhood to, you know, telling my story on podcasts like the MPTO show and, and many others has just been crazy, but exciting and fun. So, <laughs> right. No, that's great. I, and, and I wanted to explore more of that in a little bit. Um, but uh, just going back to your, so you said you've never really been into sports, but you, were you an active child at all? Like, you know, like do this or do that, or I'll go camping or I'll do, you know, yeah, like I mean, what's or you know, I did, I did the normal childhood things, you know, my family did go camping every once in a while. Um, you know, I went to the mall with my friends and all of that, um, growing up, but I, the only sport I ever actually played was, uh, I played one season of t-ball. Um, and I remember the, that was actually the reason why I stopped playing sports, believe it or not. And it's a terrible story. And now I can laugh about it. Cause I'm like, Oh, that was ridiculous. But, um, you know, I went, I remember showing up as, as, you know, I think I was seven years old showing up and being super excited to play t-ball. My dad was going to be on the coaching team and I was super excited about it. And I remember hitting the ball and one of my teammates, you know, another seven-year-old kid, I don't even know his name, don't know anything about him. Hope he's doing well today. Um, but he kind of like pointed at me and said, ha ha, you can't run like the rest of the kids. Right. And I, that for me was like the end. I was so embarrassed. I was so upset. And I just thought like, wow, this kid's right. You know, I, I can't run. So why am I going to even bother 
you know, looking into sports. So even, you know, growing up in school, in gym class, I felt very secluded. I, I Back then, growing up, there was not a lot of adaptive equipment available at every single school. I think it's obviously getting a lot better now. Um, but yeah, I just sort of felt like I didn't belong in the sports world. And then once I realized that I could play tennis, which is one of my favorite sports, I grew up watching tennis with my mom. Um, so I you know, wasn't active in sport, but I was certainly watching tennis. And I had a great respect for the game. Um, grew up watching it with my mom every weekend, like cheered on our favorites. Um, so once I realized that I, there was other people in wheelchairs that looked like me playing a sport that I had so much love for and respect for, like, I think that was definitely the appeal for me. I was like, yep, we got to try this out. Like, let's see how it goes. Even if it ends up being horrible, at least I've given it a try. And so you started playing tennis before your amputation, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. So it was like, I guess probably... 10, almost 10 years before my amputation, actually, for the very first time. But like, I, I tried it and then I was kind of away from it for a little while. Then I think I went back a second time for another have a go day, like a couple years later. Um, and then I started to kind of look more seriously into it, being like, okay, obviously this is something I want to do. But yeah, it was before the amputation. So I had taken some time off for my amputation. And then once the amputation happened and I was fully healed, I went right back onto the court. And like, that's when the Team Ontario stuff started happening. And I started like competitively playing wheelchair tennis. Right, and you brought up a good point about the representation. And I wanted to touch on that. Um, As we all try to strive for representation of ourselves on mass media and in sports. Mm -hmm. Now, and I have to be honest, I, you know, before my amputation, you know, you've watched the Paralympics and you're like, oh, great, how inspiring. (laughs) But you never really link yourself because you're an able-bodied person. But for you growing up and you say, you know, I watch tennis. Did you have any sort of, um, did you see tennis stars like you are aspiring to now back then to say oh I can do that too and 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 because I've watched these guys I guess I'm asking like who were your sort of inspiration that that sort of got you there to to go oh I can do this yeah so like you know like I said I there wasn't a lot of wheelchair tennis even being televised as I was growing up right so I didn't actually really know about any right I wanted yeah I wanted to touch on that like as well like sorry I interrupted but please go ahead No, 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 no. Don't want to apologize for interrupting at all. These are all super important things to talk about because you're right. There hasn't been representation and it is angering and it is, you know, frustrating for someone like me who grew up with a disability and not seeing these role models as I was growing up. Right. So nowadays it's, it's a lot different and, and you know, that there is some representation and it's not great and it's still getting better and let's hope that it continues that way. But for me growing up, there wasn't any representation of, you know, not only women in, in sport, but disabled women in sport right so for me I I was looking at you know the able-bodied players on on tv playing tennis and I had of course my favorites and I had the people that I wanted to like meet and emulate and you know I thought they were so you know badass (laughs) and you know like I, I I obviously respected them a lot but I never really saw myself as one of them right I never really saw myself as a tennis competitor as as an athlete at all until my late 20s Right. So for me, it's almost been like growing up from my late 20s, I've sort of almost been reborn in a way where now I feel like that kid who is looking at the wheelchair tennis stars that I'm now seeing and being like, oh, I want to be like that person. And, you know, I'm older than a lot of them now, but they're still like my my role models for the for the sport. Right. Yeah. No, and that's that's great. And where do you think it has come from now with, you know, with to your point? Uh, a woman with a disability uh, in the wheelchair sports are you are we seeing or 
we should always be seeing more of them. But do you think there's enough coverage of sports like that? Like, to be honest, and, you know, I do want to bring up Montreal. Mm -hmm. Had I not been, you know, following you and following every other pair athletes that, you know, that you and I kind of hang out with. So where do you think we are lacking in, in that sense of like, and how, how could we do better? Oh, I mean, obviously there needs to be more, more over social media and more over the general public and the general media of just, because I feel like there's this still the stigmatism of like, we're not the same as, as an able-bodied athlete. So, you know, you see like the, the football scores from Sunday net from the Sunday, Sunday football or whatever, all over the news media. Like they talk about all the teams, they talk about all the results, they talk about all the drama that stuff goes on in, in, you know, adaptive sport as well, but you don't hear about it because it's, it's like, we're not the same. It's like, we, we don't matter as much. And I hate to say that because it has gotten better and there is more representation in the media for us, but it's still not where it needs to be because just because we are adaptive sport does not mean we're not sport. And I think that's a huge thing. Like, and that's what for equality for all disabled people, you know, we have that fight every day of we're just the same as everybody else. It's just that we need, you know, a ramp instead of stairs or, and that shouldn't be where it is, but unfortunately that is where it is and it's getting better. Like we said, um, but there definitely needs to be just more, more awareness and more activism and more people standing up for, helping people that have disabilities to get noticed um, because we don't generally get noticed and listened to as much as the able-bodied community, unfortunately. <laughs> mm, there's, there's so much inequality, I think, not just even, you know, being presented in mass media, but also, sure. you know, recently, again, talking about Tokyo was just even the pay gaps between, yeah. between athletes. Yeah. you know and, and 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 who does what and where right and and yeah. who gets paid and what well and um, this is the thing too that i also just sorry didn't yeah, again interrupt <laughs> um but you know just even like and i and i brought this up on my social media before like the sizes of the trophies in in wheelchair tennis uh, compared to able-bodied tennis like if you see the people like you know the, um champions that win the u.s open for the wheelchair tennis their trophy size is like I call it an ice cream bowl. Like I'm like congratulations on your ice cream bowl because that's the size of it, um, compared to you know the ginormous trophy that the able-bodied player gets. And that's again you know representation and and, and inequality of of how much we're getting paid to win these tournaments, even though we're working and we're training just as hard as the able-bodied athletes, right? So it, that for me is something that just really irks me every time I have to see it on social media when there's been a tournament and someone like is posting a picture of them with their trophy, it's so great. And they're so, and you know, I'm happy for them and you know, they worked hard to get to where they are, but it's just sad to see the like inequality of the, of the trophy size and, and the money size and all of those things, even though they're not the most important part of playing the sport. Like I understand that, but it's still a little frustrating. <laughs> no, I agree. And, and I've had this chats with all the other para athletes in Canada mm -hmm. and actually some para athletes in the US too but in Canada specifically well actually in any sport I'm so I'm going to take that back in Canada but you know about having to train equally if not more than able-bodied athletes for you you have to spend money on your wheelchair tennis equipment Our right it's not just it's not sport. just it's it's not just a racket for you, right? So again, I'm not minimizing the tennis, the able body. Well, you're just buying a racket. Whereas yeah. I had to buy a wheelchair tennis yeah. um, uh, seat 
that is probably ten thousand, twelve thousand dollars. It, it can run that. about that much. Yeah, my my custom chair that I got um, not even a year ago, I paid I think seven grand, upwards of seven grand for it, right? So, and then that's on top of you know my coach and my training costs because tennis is not cheap. You know, to join a club to be able to train is, is you have to pay for that, right? You have to be a member of the club. So it's definitely. I, I agree with you 100%. Like, yes, it's, we train just as hard, but we also have all those extra things that we have to add on, on top of being disabled. And the fact that we probably don't get paid as much. And, you know, like, I don't work a full time job. I don't get paid as much as somebody who's got a full time job with benefits and things like that. Right. So it's definitely not equal for sure. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't really take on a full time job because you're also training as an elite athlete right, mm-hmm. to get better at your sport, to, you know, we, we put our, our, our sweat and tears and blood, if you will, into the sport, so it's like, well, no, I can only work so many days, but then that so many days also has to provide for your house, your everything, everyday expenses, yeah. including your additional cost of your sport, because again, I think there's this, you know, inequity in, I think from the Canadian experience anyway, of, well, I'm not getting funded by Canada at all to represent my team, to represent <laughs> my country I'm so glad you brought it's that like up. it's like yeah. barriers everywhere sure. right so sure. what are Especially your thoughts in on Canada it? right like in Canada it's particularly we don't get as much funding as we should right there's you look at the states and they've got you know scholarship programs for tennis wheelchair tennis you know and we don't have that here in in any of our sports that I know of you know like I don't even don't think able-bodied so. would you, I don't even think in the able-bodied yeah. we don't yeah Right. So that's the unfortunate part of it as well. Right. We don't get any help as Canadian athletes and para athletes. <laughs> I know it's, <laughs> but it's let's, 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 let's go back into, to, to your journey with tennis. So you started, you know, you said before your amputation and then you took some time off and then you realized I really want to play the sport and I really want to get good at it. So for those who are listening, who are looking at getting into the sport. So how did you, you talked briefly about para Ontario network. So maybe perhaps talk about, what those triad days are like and, and you know, what kind of you have to be aware of um, before going into the sport. And then once you get into the sport, sort of what your day looks like as an athlete. For sure. Yeah. So the Ampera, or sorry, the uh, Ontario Para Network um, is this fantastic organization that is the governing body of wheelchair tennis, wheelchair rugby, and wheelchair basketball. So they basically are the head of, of all those three sports. They control it all. They do all of the funding, all of that stuff. Um, and so for tennis specifically, they run these have a go days where you can go and try out wheelchair tennis. Anybody can come able-bodied, non-able-bodied, whatever, whatever your situation is, we're, it's open to all ages, all abilities. They provide all of the equipment. They bring the rackets, the chairs, everything that you could possibly need to, to try wheelchair tennis. Um, and they're fantastic opportunities. We actually just hosted one here in my home, in my home club um, in Midhurst. Um, and it was super successful. We had, I think, 15 to 20 people come out and try wheelchair tennis for the very first time. My family came out. I had, you know, um, uh, ex-co-workers that had come out to give it a try with their families. And everyone had a blast and said, you know, we would definitely try this again. This was so much fun. We didn't know this existed. We didn't realize how difficult it was. Like, it gave them a new appreciation for what I do because they know me and they know that I do wheelchair tennis, but it also just gave them a, an appreciation of, of being in a wheelchair and, and being like, wow, you know, this is difficult. This is hard work. Um, you know, so that was a really cool experience for me just to see my family and friends doing that as well. Um, but yeah, so anyone can go to these things. Um, 
that are put on by Ontario Power Network, they're fantastic. Um, and then when you go from there, there's, you know, again, we talked about the inequity of, of the sporting world. There's not really, other than Team Ontario, there's not really an in-between right now because there's not enough athletes. So, you know, we try to welcome more and more athletes to get into the sport um, to because we would like to create a development league of some sort um, to kind of help people kind of grow in the sport. So for me specifically in my story, when I, when I decided I wanted to play wheelchair tennis, there was no development league. It was like, okay, we don't have enough people for a development league. If you want to play, you kind of got to go with Team Ontario and, and figure it out. Um, so that's what I did because I wanted to play. So I said, okay, throw me on Team Ontario. I'll figure it out. <laughs> like I will practice with these guys. I will lose and I will learn and I will do all of these things and I will probably cry and get upset, but it's fine um, because I loved the sport so much and I knew that it's what I wanted to do. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot of hard work, um, but I honestly tell people if they have the opportunity to give wheelchair tennis a try, to give any parasport a try, I'm still trying parasports for the very first time, um, you know, as, as an athlete as well. Like I, just I just joined the wheelchair track racing team through Cruiser Sports. Um, I tried that once and I was like, yep, this is, this is a great sport, I'm doing it. Um, you know, it's a great learning experience. And I tell people all the time, if you have the opportunity to do it, please do it because you'll learn so much about yourself. You'll learn so much about the sports and about, you know, um, you know, people that have disabilities and, and the adaptive sport world. Um, there's just so much to learn and so much to be, you know, and I'm trying to get people to advocate for it. And if you don't try mm -hmm. it, you don't know anything about it, then you're not going to advocate for it. So if you're mm -hmm. out there trying it and you've been experiencing it, you're more likely to talk about it. And, you know, you know, you know, someone who you work with, who knows someone who's in a wheelchair, who is looking for something like that's, sort of networking and connection that happens at these things and it's super important to have that aspect you mentioned the um not having a developmental or like a development team where yeah. you are so how does that work for you then do you train in between having to i'm assuming uh when you say team ontario they will train somewhere in toronto or yes. somewhere more central yeah. so for people so for people who may be not readily you know accessible to toronto do you train by yourself or how does that? I do. Yeah. Um, I have a, a personal coach that I work with who, who trains me. Uh, we train twice a week and then I'm usually on the court one other time a week uh, with hitting with a teammate uh, down in Toronto. So I train here in Midhurst at my, at my tennis club. Um, and there are coaches out there that are wheelchair tennis certified um, all over the world, all over Canada. They are out there. You just have to go searching for them. Um, and I'm sure that they would be happy to help. Um, but yeah, so I do train on my own and then team Ontario, we actually meet, we try to meet once a month, um, to play, um, we call them league days. So we just basically compete against each other and for points and we learn and we, you know, work on the things that we've been trying to work on to get ourselves ready for competition. Um, yeah, so that's basically what we do. Um, and then usually, you know, within those league days, that's when we have, we'll host the have a go day. So we'll have like a have a go session for an hour or two or whatever it is. And then you can kind of stay and watch the team Ontario athletes uh, play matches against each other. Right. And so for the Montreal competition that you did this weekend or this past weekend, um, so was that, that would have been a national competition, correct? That's right. So that yeah. was a national one. So how, how does, I guess, from a, from a uh, membership grouping first or team grouping first, where do you think Ontario compares with all the other provinces across Canada on growing the game? On growing the game, not great. 
um, you know, I think we do really well. Like we've got a lot of really great athletes and we did really well at nationals. You know, one of our athletes, Anne-Marie Dolliner, made it to the final of the women's. Um, you know, she unfortunately fell short and came in second, um, but she was playing amazing that, that weekend. And, you know, it's because she's got this dedication to train. So I think what we lack in actual like development sessions and like things like that, we make up for in the fact that we're just so passionate and we have such a love for the game that we're willing to do the work on our own. And I think that's something that's second to none um, for a lot of places within Canada. You know, a lot, you know, BC has a great program where they can get together and they've got an entire team that they train together as a team constantly. Um, you know, obviously different throughout COVID, they haven't been able to get together as often, but um, you know, they've got this great program there that they can, and they have resources and things like that that they can use to train. Um, Ontario lacks in that a little bit, you know, we are getting better and we are trying to grow it a little bit more. Um, but of course that takes time, but I think, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. We make up for that in just our passion for the sport. Like I know that I get out any chance I can, I can get out, you know, I'm always constantly trying to improve myself for team Ontario and to represent team Ontario. <laughs> right. And so at this national was every province representative, I'm always curious about the nationals like that. So again, you know, this, this is a little bit of a different situation because it was, it is still a, a COVID year, if you want to call it that, right? So we didn't have nationals last year. Um, it was canceled, obviously. Um, and this year they brought it back. So I think this year it was Ontario, Quebec, and BC, I think. I'm sorry if I'm missing anybody, if they're listening to this. Um, but I think those were the only three provinces that were represented. Um, but, you know, everyone fought hard and, and the ones that were there were playing really well and we're just happy to be back and, and be playing the sport that they love to play right like <laughs> we all just had fun and it, and it was actually kind of nice <laughs> well it's good to see your you know it's good to see from a social perspective of like oh hey i get to see all the you know all my fellow <laughs> colleagues in in the sport and the pair athletes in my sport and then at the same time it's like it's finally good to see how you play well, it's, right. yeah, it's interesting, you. right? Because you don't know, like going into the nationals, nobody knew how much I had improved. Nobody knew how much anybody else had improved, how much any else, anybody else had been training or what they had been going through in their life because no one was talking about wheelchair tennis or training because of COVID, right? So it was almost like, and it was like a, a free-for-all. Anybody could have won. Anybody could have gone to the finals. Anybody could have been knocked out at any moment. Like, you know, the top players were like, oh, what are we going to do? You know, like who knows who we're going to be competing against. I had people at nationals that didn't even recognize me from two years ago because, you know, throughout these past two years, I had lost 40 pounds and I had, you know, gotten a lot stronger and gained a lot of muscle and like changed my hairstyle. Like I shaved my head, and, you know? So they were like, I'm sorry, I don't remember you. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was here two years ago. I remember you. <laughs> but they were like, wow, like you're a different player. I said, good. <laughs> I hope I was improving, right? Right. No, I, yeah. Um, again, same thing, like COVID year, mm -hmm. no competition. And then you see a competition finally this year and you're like, okay, I got gotcha. you. Like, oh, cool. I see you. Now I see you kind of thing, Absolutely, right? So yeah. it's, it's been great. Now talking about the sport itself. So how different is wheelchair sports, wheelchair um, tennis compared to able-bodied tennis? Uh, it's basically all the same rules. The only big rule difference is that we get two bounces to get to the ball. So the first bounce has to be within the court. And then the second bounce can be out of bounds of the court. Um, but that's the, the net size is regulation. The court size is regulation. It's the same rackets, same tennis ball. 
all of that stuff. And then of course we use the chair instead of our legs um, to get to the ball. But the only rule difference is that we get the two bounces. So in wheelchair basketball, and I played wheelchair basketball, mm -hmm. is there a rule on like two push and hit, or you just really have to get to no, the ball with two bounces? You can push as much as you want or as little as you want, as long as you can get to that ball in two bounces. If it bounces the third time, you've lost the point. Then so, right. Um, yeah, so yeah, there's no no rule. I know, yeah, in wheelchair basketball, you have to bounce the ball or push twice and then bounce twice the ball. and bounce the ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I tried wheelchair basketball once, and same as you, and you know, I as tennis, you know, uh, wheelchair basketball was not my sport, I was terrible at it. <laughs> I was like, nope, okay, try this once, done now. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, so there's no rule on the pushing, there's no other rule of when you need to hit the ball other than within those two bounces. You can hit it right. within one if you can get to it. So. Wow. Just just thinking about the speed of how you need to push your wheelchair. And if people can't imagine that, I mean, remember, everybody, you're pushing your own weight with that yeah. chair to get yeah. to a ball that's coming right fast in yeah. front of your face. And right? also so, holding a racket in your hand, right? So you're, right, you're as you do it. using one hand fully to push a chair plus one that has a racket in it to try and push the chair too, right? So it's it's not an easy feat. And I, you know, I tell people... I grew up using a wheelchair, right? So I'm like, I'm used to pushing a wheelchair. I don't understand. It's not that difficult. And people are like, it's not no, the same. It's difficult. <laughs> like what you're doing is hard. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> right. No, yeah. the same thing when I tried wheelchair racing. Again, yeah. I, I, I want to go back to this after I, you know, I shared the story. You know, it's like, oh, I, I know how to use a wheelchair. I, I've been, a, you know, a wheelchair user for a very long time. I can do this. Mm -hmm. As soon as I, you know, maybe like 500 meters, I'm going to throw up now. <laughs> like, like, why is my face this close to the ground? And I, 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 this move, this fast moving thing in front of me is just not happening. Yeah. I want to throw up. I'm done. Right. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, having shared that story, I think the theme that you and I have been talking about in the last five minutes is being able to try out sports right and the importance of that to discover what works for you okay. so you know like how would you encourage parents who have children uh with a disability to get into these kinds of you know like what, what would your recommendation be for them um, and you know this has sort of been my my um theme of all of these talks that i've been doing over these past two years is you know, the, taking a chance, um, you know, that's my big message and how important it is to take a chance and, and try new things. Because for me, trying wheelchair tennis changed my life completely. I'm a more confident person. I have learned more about myself in the last, you know, 10 years than I ever knew about myself growing up. Um, you know, I've, I've, I'm a completely different human being and I'm in the best shape of my life at 34 years old. And I never thought that I would ever be able to say that about myself, but I have this self-confidence and this belief in myself that I never had growing up. And I think it's super important for kids to, to, um, you know, experience that as kids and not as, you know, a 20 something year old woman who has no self-confidence. Um, so getting kids into these sports as early as humanly possible is so important because it does change your life and it may and you may get there and the kid may think that it is a terrible thing and they don't like it and that's okay, you know, because they're still learning something about themselves they're still learning that okay, 
I don't like to play wheelchair tennis or, okay, I don't like to play wheelchair basketball or whatever the case may be, but they're getting out and they're meeting people that are like them was, you know, so important to get kids involved, uh, kids with disabilities um, involved in parasport as early as possible because they learn so much about themselves and they may end up falling in love, you know, and then they've got that much more time growing up to play the sport that they love and to learn all these things about themselves that I learned in my late twenties. Um, you know, and, and I use that, you know, phrase of being reborn in my twenties and that's, I'm basically was a child trying parasport for the very first time. But so I had to learn kind of quickly, but it, it's so important to have kids involved and it's so important to just try new things. I know it's scary. I was scared out of my mind trying wheelchair tennis for the very first time. I showed up with my mom, you know, at, you know, 20 something years old, had my mom come with me to try wheelchair tennis for the very first time because I was so terrified. Um, but like I said, I left there just a changed person already just from trying it for the very first time. So I think you know, just getting your kids out there and, and telling them to have fun with it and, and to just try new things because that's important in life. No matter what you're doing, it's important to try new things and do new things and meet new people. Um, and that it's okay to own your disability and to be disabled. You know, I grew up for most of my life believing that I didn't belong and that's not okay. You know, we don't mm-hmm. want kids growing up to feel that way anymore. It's, that, that shouldn't happen because it's not the way that the world is anymore they do belong and they do belong in sport and they do belong out in the world and they do belong with their classmates, you know, participating in, in phys ed and gym class and all of those things. Cause we have ways to do that now. Um, so yeah, I just think that's super important. Right. No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, you know, when I go into schools and I show the sports, I, mm-hmm. I often show wheelchair basketball or sitting volleyball of late before, just before COVID, you know, and just to even show the coaches and the teachers, and also at the same time, we're promoting a program where even ha- have your able-bodied children to also play the sport. Mm-hmm. Because what it creates is a cre- it creates a, a belonging for those kids who may be just a one or two in your school mm-hmm. to be able to participate in a gym sport, right? And then now all the other kids understand that, oh, we can play this too and we can include them in the game. And that's always been kind of my messaging of like, include me in your game to, to yeah. create that inclusion, right? And so yeah. I think it removes that barrier of, well, this kid can't participate in gym today because we don't have anything to offer them, which I think is kind of like, not so much a lot, like it's not true. I don't want to say it's a lie, but it is. It's like, no, you can do something for that child There's to include them in your gym. Yes, 100%. And I think you brought up a good point of, you know, um, the, the able-bodied kids understanding um, the differences with the, with the kids with disabilities, right? Like, I, and I, you know, I hate using the word ignorance, but I, I say blind ignorance because it's not talked about, you know, like kids walking down the street are taught not to stare at the kid in the wheelchair because it's rude. And I'm always that person who's like, no, if you're, you know, if your kid has a question for me, like, please let him ask it because I'm happy to answer it. Because the more education that's out there, the more I can teach kids about you know, that it's okay to be different, that, you know, just because this kid's in a wheelchair doesn't make them any different than you, you know, this is how we support that person, this is how we help that person, the better our, our world is going to be, and the more accept, accepted it's going to be, um, and I think that's really important, and like you said, you know, there's, there's this, you know, understanding of, of including everybody, and I think that's an important, important thing for, for kids, especially kids growing up in the school system, and things like that, you know, to have friends who have disabilities or differences or any anything right mm-hmm. you talked about having 17 years of way, of kind of dealing with stuff 15 years for me yeah right of you know 
not being active, not, not being active, not playing any sport. And then as soon as I had my reputation, I'm like, great, I can get back to sports. Like I can do what I want now because I'm no longer in pain today. Like that freedom. Yeah. That that freedom. And so it, and so where was I going that? Oh, right. So and so this just that idea of belonging right off the bat, I think was very much part of my recovery. 100%, yeah. Right, and then belonging sure. to that team and realizing the sports that I can do and realizing the the, the camaraderie that we have within teammates. Mm-hmm. And I and, you know, talked about the social aspect of being in a team sport and even individually, like my sport is individual, but I still get to train with my team of course, yeah. three times a week. So there's that social aspect to that that I think is an amazing part of my recovery. And I credit that to my recovery. And so I think when kids do see themselves playing, you know, with their able-bodied friends, it's like, well, no, I do belong. You know, I am just a child too. Just please let me be a child. You're allowed to take up space in the world, right? Like I learned that at a very, you know, just within the last couple of years that it's okay for me as a disabled person, as a disabled woman to take up space and to use my voice and to, you know, tell people that I belong here. Um, and I wish I would have had that attitude growing up as a kid because my life would have probably been completely different, right? Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. It's crazy. You know. I know when you think back, you think back and you're like, why, why did I do that to myself? Why did I isolate myself like that? Like, am I that bad? No, I'm not, right? So and it's unfortunate that we learn that so late in life, um, you know, whether we grew up with a disability or not. It's, it's unfortunate because it's such an important thing. And I think that it changed, it changed my life so much as it sounds like it changed yours as well. Right. To just be able to realize that you're, you have every right to be here and you have every right to wear a pair of shorts. If you want to wear a pair of shorts or to wear a t-shirt, if you want to wear a t-shirt or, you know, and, and that, unfortunately the world has, up until now has not really been accepting of those things and of people who are different. Um, but again, it's getting better. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, and thanks to, you know, your work with your advocacy and and you showing up as well and saying look you can play tennis you can play this you can do this you can do anything you want to do in the world like that's such an important i tell my niece and nephew all the time whatever they want to do you know like and they're both able able bodied like you know they don't have a disability or anything like that but it's important to to teach kids that you know you want to do something go and do it whether you have a disability or not (laughs) <laughs> right. And, and, and your representation is opening up those doors mm-hmm. or are, are, is opening those doors for these kids. So, uh, you know, a uh, great, great on doing that. Now, what is next for you in the world of wheelchair tennis? Oh, gosh, uh, lots of training. So there's no big competitions now until the new year. Um, but next year, I am planning on doing a lot of traveling for tournaments. I need to start getting my ranking up because, you know, I ultimately have a goal of representing Canada in the Paralympics. Um, but there's certain milestones I have to hit along my road before I'm able to do that. Um, so for me, it's just, you know, getting my butt in gear, getting myself into the gym more often on the courts more often and, and really training hard for the next few months until there's more tournaments next year for me to, to compete in and to travel to and all of that fun stuff. But also, you know, I plan on doing more of this stuff where I'm, you know, having conversations about the importance of what. I'm doing and, and the importance of getting out there and, and taking chances and trying new things. Oh, that's great. And where can people find you online? Oh gosh. Um, I'm on all the social medias. <laughs> um, you can on Instagram, Candace underscore Comden. 
on I have a Facebook page, Candace Comden um, dash wheelchair tennis athlete, I think it is. Um, yeah, and just any of those places, um, you know, feel free to email me if, if you want or send me a private message, whatever it is. Um, yeah, and I'm happy to talk to people and to connect with people. I love connecting and hearing people's stories, um, you know, and helping in, a, in whatever way I can, so. Good. And any last sort of, you know, last tips for any of our listeners who may be, you know, wondering, again, getting into the sports, getting into an active lifestyle, or just finding the sports that's good for them, or that they want to try and do? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'll end it in the way that I, we, we've already talked about in my whole mantra of taking chances, just do it. I don't, there's no excuse, there's no, nothing bad is going to happen if you go and try something for the very first time, the very worst that's going to happen is you're going to meet some new people and hear some really awesome stories and realize that you're not alone. So please go out, take chances, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that are out there now that were not out there, um, you know, even 10, 15 years ago, like, just, just do it. <laughs> I know that's like, awesome. sounds very basic, like, you know, <laughs> advice, and it's probably not that great, but honestly, that's what I did and it's changed my life. So <laughs> No, I think it's really, literally, I agree with you. It's taking that first step though, right? 100%. So just, just like, go out and if, do it. Just go out even, and do it. Even if that that first step is, you know, messaging me on Instagram and being like, help me, how do I do this? You know, can you point me in the right direction? Just message me. You know, what's right. the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to be like, hey, you want to be friends? Right. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing bad that's going to come of that. So please reach right. out, please talk to people, please take chances. Um, because you will not regret it. Awesome. Thank you so much for spending the time with me today. I want to thank Candice Compton for joining me today. I'll share the links on my website at www.aristotelmina.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The MDA Show. Until next time, I'm your host, Aristotel Domingo, and this has been The MDA Show Podcast. <laughs>